thinking of this about 30 seconds ago. Uh, Hebrews 11:24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to endure, endure, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He could have been a, probably could have been Pharaoh's general. He would have just tucked in and stayed with the program instead of worshiping this invisible God that he was worshiping. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had recompense, respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. This is the part that I was thinking of. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Uh, there's a whole realm of stuff going on all the time in the spirit realm. And we need to be aware, need to have the whole armor of God on because we're no match for the wiles of the enemy unless we're hid in Christ. Unless we're seeing something that's not visible. There's enough evidence in any given day to defeat us all before we get started. But tonight, Lord, we look to you, Lord. We would see the one that's invisible. We would see him who gives us strength. Him who has called us before the foundations of the world. Him who has put his word in our hearts that we might keep it. In Jesus' name.
close the service anyway. <laughs> continuity in the word I thought uh, at the convention and um, thought of us I think really this theme really was moving forward was moving forward and uh, out of Gary put it this way, and I think Bill said it the same way, Gary Snow, he talked about the holy place becoming a, a merry-go-round where we keep experiencing the same things, whereas really what God is after is us genuinely becoming uh, what God called us to be. And uh, he likened it to, Gary at least likened it to resurrection, and coming forth in resurrection life, and um, all of us have a destination that we've been called to um, and uh, true to form uh, Dan Riccadelli who happened to lead out read John 1.12 and he said uh, you know the scripture about as many as received him to them gave you power to become sons of God. Now when you were born again, you became a son of God. Um, you were placed in that family and in that seed, that genealogy of Christ that's been birthed in all of us. That's why it says in, you know, uh, 1 John, I think, 3, that now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall do. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And that's the processing that we're in to really see. And I guess the way I'd have to characterize it for myself is that God is uh, altogether trustworthy. And when we see him clearly, that's what we understand. That actually he is trustworthy enough for us to entrust ourselves to him on a continual basis. And <clears throat> so this power to become um, is what's going on with all of us. And that isn't just to become born again, but actually that's the beginning of a journey 
uh, till we really the goal is that you and I would come to the full stature of who Christ is. And that's what you see in Jesus' life. He came to the full stature of that calling. Um, and he lived by an authority that no one else had, had seen. You know, the, the Pharisees asked him, he said, by what authority do you do this? And, um, and Jesus asked, you know, he, he stumped them with a retort and said, well, John's baptism, is it of men or is it of God? And they, they, they thought within themselves, somebody knew what their thoughts were and they wrote them in the Gospels, that in fact, uh, if they said men, the people would be upset because they thought he was from God. And if they said of God, that would put them in a predicament themselves. Uh, that's, life is hard that way, isn't it, sometimes? Um, but uh, really, what that illustrates, at least in my view, because um, I've often wondered about Jesus' answers. <laughs> um, but it, what it illustrates was that the Pharisees didn't have any understanding of the authority that Jesus came in. And I thought, man, that's such an important thing for us. The reason uh, that you can become, like it says in John 1.12, the reason that you're able to become is, it says, he gave them power. And that word is, in, uh, is authority. You can look that up. There's exousia, that's the Greek word for authority. That's one word for power, and then there's dunamis, which is the actual power. Um, that would be like um, Aaron Seeger. Thought Gabe had a disagreement. Um, be like Aaron Seeger telling me, "All right, Dave, you can drive the D8. I give you authority to do that." But then I would actually need the actual power to get behind the controls and do that, okay? And you think that would be far-fetched. I would agree. Although, comparatively speaking, in our minds, I think perhaps becoming mature sons in the full stature of Christ might be a bigger challenge than me driving the V8. I don't know if Brother John Dufendock remembers, but he invited me to ride on the terrace, that green, big green machine, when they were, the first time they were building the slash that's in front of the shop. You may not remember. But I just remember, um, so I'm sitting up there with him and didn't have a cage or anything, and there were branches, uh, not in the positive sense, like the Feast of Tabernacles, but these were, <laughs> Independent <laughs> branches taking their own way and flying every which way and dust and bouncing your bones to all over creation. And, you know, I noticed that John just loved doing it. He, he said, oh, and he said to me, as best I could hear, was, oh, do you feel this power? This is great. And... I was thankful that he invited me. Not quite as thankful as I was to get off. But I knew I didn't necessarily probably have a career in that. But anyway, um, 
See, the reason you and I can become mature sons, and I'd like to encourage you tonight, the reason you can become a mature son is because the one that called you out, and I don't mean called you, some blob of persons. I mean called you out. Didn't just call you, but he gave you the authority to. And if you read in John 10, that's how Jesus laid his life down. He offered his life, right? It says this commandment, he said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my father. He did it under the authority of his father. That's why he was able to do what he did. Um, he did it through the power of the Spirit and the enablement of the Spirit and the grace of God that was upon him to do that. But he did it under the authority of God. The reason that you can become, the reason that you can respond differently, the reason that you can have a thought that does not come from this earth. We know about the thoughts that come from the earth. I mean, you do understand why there is a church with many members. So we can understand that our thoughts are not always productive when we look at each other. And we understand that we need authority and we need power to actually not live on the basis of this present world, this, the course of this world. Uh, what a course it is. That it, it, it's a powerful course, isn't it? There is a powerful course of this world that's flowing in a certain direction. And in the middle of that crooked and perverse generation, God calls some. And he says, by my authority, you can become um, not just this uh, uh, born-again individual, but you can grow up into the fullness of Christ. And that's what you see with Jesus, and that's the, the course we're on. It says in 2 Peter 1, uh, I'll turn there. Three says, according, Second Peter one three, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. This is the greatest escape that will ever occur in the earth that men can actually escape the corruption that's in the world through, through lust, through their own desire. It says in three, uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. It's through 
becoming this ongoing relationship discernment of who he is. I, I hope we understand that on your journey, and I know we do, we have a lot of failures and pitfalls, and if you look at Abraham's life, uh, it was not in a straight line. There was plenty of zigzags. If you study out his life, he had a lot of ups and downs and all arounds. And, um, you know, the big thing was he, he uh, was saving his own life when he threw his wife out there. And then he did it a second time, like 20 years later. I mean, you wonder, where is progress? Uh, and I wonder that too, where is progress? You know, when I, uh, I have a pitfall or I have um, a failure in this, in this journey of, of finding out who, who God is. But um, the great thing about our Father is that there's a constancy of His authority you see, the prodigal son didn't just get back because of hardship. He got back because he remembered his father's house. And because he remembered his father's house, he had access to the authority of his father. And because of that, he had power to return. The father was never cut off from that process. And in the same way with all of us, individually, in the journeys that we are on, our Heavenly Father is never cut off from the process that we're in. Regardless of how far we, we stray or, or fail and how many times we do, uh, God is able to bring us, bring us forward. So you don't see at the beginning of Abraham's life where he has his only son and a son of promise standing next to him. And the first thing that God says to him is take him up and, and, and offer him to me on the altar. Uh, climb up Mount Moriah. That's not the first thing. The first thing he said was just come here with me. And then you see there's a journey till he got to the point. What do you see in Abraham at the end? You see uh, in that point where he is willing. It doesn't give any explanation. It doesn't give any dialogue uh, of what actually happened in that process. It just says he rose up early. <laughs> it seemed like that would be a good morning to sleep in. He rose up early and he went up the mountain. How did he get there? He didn't get there because he, had, he was a super spiritual guy. He got there because of the authority of the Father that was resting upon him. And he'd come into a relationship day after day and step after step till he came by the knowledge of who he was. You see, someone said, uh, uh, well, let me tell you what I believe. I don't know that that's what you should say. I know we have stuff we believe, but I think really hold that stuff loosely in this sense. It is a whom that we must believe in. And the what, I don't know, if you look over the last 40 years of this place, the what has changed. Uh, thankfully, someone said at the convention, the move is, you know, he said, I, I know, I heard recently say something about, well, the move is dead, right? And a couple guys behind, near me said, praise God. <laughs> because that is God's job. He, it, it may not, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. The issue is, do I know him? Am I getting acquainted with him? Be, and, and I don't mean just getting acquainted, but like, Understanding how trustworthy he is for me to entrust myself to. And to understand that he has given me the authority to not be me. 
The greatest challenge that you and I have is getting out of I am my own. And my own is full of specificity for every single one of us. My own thoughts, my own tastes, my own words, my own actions, my own reactions. What's so funny back there? Yeah, I know. For a minute I thought she was laughing at me. Um, but God, His authority is capacitated to bring us out of that. The greatest escape that mankind will ever participate in is to get out of being earthbound to escape the corruption. Do you realize in 1 Corinthians 15 it says this corruptible must must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality um, so I was thinking about okay that is like the first little section of my notes and so I'm going to circumcise by the power of God resting upon me. Uh, I was thinking about those, the salmon that they, they make it back, I think over here, it's like 1,100 miles. They travel and get back uh, to the mouth of the Delta River to spawn. And uh, in, in uh, Job 14 it says, it talks about the scent of water. And uh, it's through the scent of water. It's through the discernment. It's through the understanding in our hearts that's growing that you and I are capacitated to keep swimming against the course of the world. And when I say the course of the world, don't think the most evil thoughts you can think of. You think of Times Square or something. I don't know what you think of, but... Just think about the things you say sometimes yeah. that you wish you had. Yeah. Anybody ever feel stuck in the picture that you paint for yourself because <laughs> of what you've said? Yeah. <clears throat> and you'd want to take those things back. But, you know, the salmon come back 1,100 miles and it's always, it's, a, it's against the whole, it's against the current and it's, you know, Years ago I preached about that, I had specifics and stuff, but it's parts per million in the water that they can discern. In the middle of a flood, do you know in the middle of a flood of difficulty, a flood of corruption <laughs> that you feel, that I feel, uh, the Spirit of God in you has the capacity to discern. which way to go. And he brings the salmon all the way back here for us. We have a community right next door to all those salmon that made that journey. And they look beat up. Don't evaluate anybody when you look at them. They look beat up. 
don't judge by appearance. Sometimes they're beat up because they've been crying out to God to swim home, get home. If you are seeking to get home in the sense of the fullness of the statue of Christ, you might not look great. And I can assure you, you won't feel great. Because you run up against resistance, right? You run up against unwillingness. You know, maybe I'll say this to you about 10 more minutes. If you look at Moses' life, he uh, failed the mission. Right? I mean, think about this. I, you know, I'm sure I've complained at times, uh, having to worry about everything that happens here. Um, and, but like, if Moses had a million people with him, I, you know, I don't like. I don't know if that's the right estimate. I know there are 600,000 men, and ostensibly they had wives and children, right? So let's say a million people have said two. I'm just going to go with one. 600,000 would kind of be mind-boggling to me, but. He had a million people and he, you know, he had 40 years in Pharaoh's house. Someone brought that up, right? And Tom just said that, right? And, uh, and they had 40 years and somebody brought out at the convention about uh, the seven daughters of Midian out in the backside of the desert. And he, so he lived with, I guess, eight women, seven daughters. <laughs> Then he found then the wife. Anyway, so I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just, just that's just an observation that's in the Bible. I'm just making a, a point that. But the word Midian means trouble, and um, just saying. Anyway, when um, he went through that forty years, and then God called him out, and you see him in the Numbers 11. He said. I love the dialogue. Some of the dialogues are fascinating to read. I won't look at them, but he says, this is too heavy for me. (laughs) Really, really, Moses. I've gotten embarrassed talking to God about some of the things I say when I consider that he's omniscient. Like I'm giving him a newsflash about myself. (laughs) I had a prayer the other week, a couple weeks ago, I was praying. I said, Lord, I'm not going to tell you anything about myself. You already know. (laughs) Um, But then... You know, Moses, he, he goes along and, and, uh, and he seemed to have a, an understanding of the grace of God better than the rest. Uh, and I'll look there. It's in Exodus 33. I like this honest dialogue, and uh, I hope you're getting to the point where you're having an honest dialogue with the Lord. The dialogue of our lives is not uh, encapsulated in a church service twice a week or devotions or even a community. A dialogue with the Lord is this ongoing development of this relationship with Him. And it's based upon 
the things of your own heart that you deal with. It's based upon your own walk. Um, and and we, all, we need others, I'm not saying that. But we walk this alone. We need others because it reveals, how am I doing in my walk alone? Is it working? Right? And so he has this honest dialogue with the Lord, he says in verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of not a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, you say to me, <laughs> I like this dialogue, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom you're going to send with me. Yet you said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I might know thee. Do you know that's the reason God has dumped grace upon us? That we would find out his way and we know him. That's the purpose of grace. And there are other benefits, aren't there, right? Being delivered from sin and shame and whatever that is. Yes, but there was a, there's a deeper purpose, an ongoing purpose of the grace of God. The grace of God is not static. It says he gives more grace. Right? Uh, hope to the end for the grace to be revealed. There's more grace. There's an increase of this grace. It's not just the initial grace to bring you forward out of, out of your own life. It's, it's a growth of this grace. Grow in grace. And it seems like Moses had, had the right idea about grace. Show me now your way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And Moses says, If your presence does not go with me, don't carry me up. And I don't think that's just one event. Perhaps that's an everyday something that you say to the Lord. Lord... <laughs> If you're not with me, I don't want to go someplace I shouldn't go. Because I've gone. And I'm not happy about it. And I found myself somewhere. How, how did I get here? And I'm sure the Lord didn't come with me. <laughs> now, he doesn't leave us or forsake us. But I think you understand what I mean. When the prodigal son, he wasn't left. But boy, he was estranged. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you can live right next door and be estranged. I've heard of that. And he says, if your presence don't go, does not go with me, don't carry us up thence. And so you know, he said, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Um, so that... And the Lord said, I will do this thing also, for you have found grace. Maybe I should be closing. And I know thee by name. So Moses had the thought, you know, he, he seemed to get it right. Most of the congregation didn't seem to understand the point of the grace was to come into a trusting relationship where they could entrust themselves to their... Heavenly Father, every day, he's the one that took them out and brought, was bringing them through this wild, the wilderness. And there was, you know, and I thought about the, the, the quantity of, of 
stuff that Moses received from God. I mean, he received all the, all the details of the offerings, all the details of the feasts, the three feasts, all the details of the tabernacle. I don't know if you remember John Jeffries years ago talking about, I mean, the guy really got into the details of the, of the tabernacle. I mean, details, right? But Moses got all that stuff up on the mount, it says, right? Um, and so then he, then so Moses does all this stuff. I was thinking about it. And the one time he messes up, he hits that rock. And God says, okay, that's it for you, fella. I mean, there's something funny about that, right? Like, wait a minute, this doesn't, something must be a different interpretation here. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Moses, there was a type and shadow there that by the law, no man shall ever enter into the, what God has promised. Doesn't happen by the law. But it appears to me that the man Moses somehow did okay. He ends up in Hebrews 11, Tom just read. But also, he's one of the guys at the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Elijah and talking about what Jesus saw in front of him. You know, let me tell you, what's better than the types and shadows is the actual fulfillment of what God was showing through the types and shadows. And it seemed to me it worked out okay for Moses. And for us, the actual fulfillment of the call of God is so much better than the illustration. What do you think, Dave? I'll just stay, stay put. Hello? Is that working? No? I'll just talk loud. I won't be much longer. So, one of the things I was thinking about that Moses, that Moses received from the Lord was a Feast of Tabernacles. And I think if there's a, something that fits in with where we are right now in the Feast of Tabernacles is the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. And the Day of Atonement really, if you, I mean, has very, a lot of specific things you can read about in Leviticus 16, but the Day of Atonement really was a day of uh, uh, where they afflicted their souls. And it was a Sabbath rest. <clears throat> and the priest would go in and he'd sprinkle blood, he'd go into the Holy of Holies, he'd put the priestly garments on and all that, and <clears throat> I'm speeding through this, but he would take incense from off the altar of incense that sat before the holiest of all. And he would go in and he, and the incense would come up and would flow over the mercy seat. And uh, I just want to look in, in Hebrews chapter 4 because I just was uh, struck with this a little while ago looking at it. I never saw this before. Because God is really, he's working with every single one of us in this process of knowing him. The subtext of that is, uh, we are, he's bringing us into a condition where we are ceasing from our own labors. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we all do things. Don't get hung up on, on all the doings that go on. The ceasing from our own labors just has to do with the source by which we live. And by which we draw upon. What is the source I am living by? What is the source that is fueling my existence? What is the source that, yeah. that is, is uh, working in me uh, to bring me, uh, make pro to make progress in this journey of, of growth and maturity into the fullness of Christ? 
What's the source? And that's really what, when it talks about <coughs> ceasing from our own works and afflicting our own soul, the affliction of the soul isn't, isn't some self-flagellation by any means. The affliction of the soul is just, I'm not ruled over by the soul. I have a soul. I have a will. I have emotions. I have a, a mind. That's how kind of we've encapsulated it. But my humanity is not ruling over me. What makes me individual? God isn't getting rid of your soul or your particular flavor. Actually, He's out to save your soul. And God does not, He's not a, a cookie cutter, uh, boring uh, creator. Right. Just look at creation and the, and the variety and variegation of everything that He's done. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's mind boggling to, to think of. All the variety, and, and actually right in this room, there is a variety. What a dangerous thing to live with each other or, or to try to relate to people, I, you know, that are different. <laughs> and the subtext of that is wrong. Um, and <clears throat> but what God is getting all of us to in ceasing our own labor and and the affliction of the soul is just that my own humanity, I'm not sourced by my own humanity, so I don't have to submit to what my soul is, might be screaming about. And what my emotions might be just so intensely demanding or, or my self-will. Aren't you, aren't you glad about the story of the man that had two sons and he said the first one, go work in my vineyard, and, the, and he said, I will not. I appreciate that guy. <laughs> and then it says, and afterward, he repented and he went. The other guy that was all in with his words never showed up. Don't get discouraged at your unwillingness. That's, don't be tyrannized by your soul. So, Hebrews 4, I said, right? Therefore, let us uh, fear, therefore fear a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of us should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, and it, it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with trust. This ongoing growth of this relationship uh, for we which have believed do enter into rest. Um, okay, six. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter into therein, and they, they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Um, verse nine. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Okay, what's the prayer of that? Lord, uh, don't, I don't want to go up if you're not with me. If your authority is not overshadowing what I'm doing, Lord, or what I'm thinking, or how I'm moving, Lord, uh, I don't want to go up. <clears throat> and when we do go up, we get back. Lord, bring me back. So then I, I got down and everything. And, and this is not, I'm not um, 
promoting some self-evaluative uh, bondage to get yourself in. It, it comes like with 12. The Word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Say, Lord, can you show me? Can your Holy Spirit alert me? Can you know, show me what, you, what, you like, what you're thinking here? I need to know what you're thinking. <laughs> because I'm thinking something. I never had a, you know, spend hours waiting on my opinion, right? And what is my opinion? It just comes to me, right? That's why it should make you nervous that when people say, it just came to me, so I know it was the Lord. But this, I just want to get down to this. So the whole chapter, you, you need the Spirit working and... and, and in order to come into rest, because there remains a rest to the people of God, a ceasing from being ruled over by anything else, <clears throat> and not just in type and shadow, but in actual life. It says, verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. See, this is in the context this verse is in the context of chapter 4, which really the theme of chapter 4 is coming into the rest that God has determined for His people. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The whole purpose... And, and I just want you to know there is, there is grace for you be able to rest and cease from your own labors. There's grace for me to not be sourced out of my soul, or out of my humanity. There's grace for that. And, and that is well, one last picture of the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, was that that incense covered the mercy seat. And when you talk about incense in the Bible, it, it talks about it really refers to the prayers and the offerings of the saints. Can I just say if you're struggling with ceasing from your own whatever, you fill that in. From your own fill it in. Flood the mercy seat with incense. Say, Lord, please help me, Lord. Let that incense go up over the mercy seat. Lord, help me. I'm coming here because I'm finding it impossible to cease from what I am. And Lord, there remains a rest for all of us. There remains a rest here. Lord, there's, you have grace for me to come into that condition. So God help us. Yes. Don't retreat when your soul is acting up. That's the time to say, Lord, I want to flood your mercy seat. Aren't you glad it's a mercy seat? Because there's mercy there for us. Amen. Yes.
um, just by way of confirmation, I don't want to prolong this more, but um, <clears throat> I've been thinking about that scripture in Psalm. Uh, wait for it. Um, the one that says, I have behaved and quieted myself. My soul is even as a weaned child. And I was, I was thinking about that scripture for a couple weeks. And then on, what was the night we had our party? Monday night? Um, when we were worshiping, we sang that song, I will sing unto the Lord because he's dealt bountifully for me. Um, with, he has dealt bountifully with me. To me? That's it. <laughs> um, and I was reminded of a time in my life about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. And we were singing that song in service. And I was thinking somewhat cynically in my mind, yeah, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me, like, like lots of dealings. <laughs> and um, I went home and I looked up that word bountifully and what it actually means is, I'll just read it to you. It means to treat a person well. To wean. It's that same word in that, in that scripture that says, my soul is as a weaned child. It's the same um, uh, Hebrew word that means to deal bountifully. And I was just struck by, like, that's that, like what Dave was talking about, our soul, like, entering into that rest. And there's that, you know, there's, there is a scripture that says, return, return to thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. And that bountiful work is to detach us from the things that are sort that where we're sourcing ourselves um, from a place there where there is um, there's not the opportunity for growth going forward. Basically, I mean that's the weaning process is to it, it's a transition to another um, another stage of life. And anyway, just that I just felt like it was a confirmation of what I've been thinking about what David was talking about tonight about entering into the rest and and um, you know, that the power that, the, that is available for us actually to behave and quiet our soul. That, that's not a small thing. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you give us the, the power to become, Lord, and that you have given us the grace to know you, Lord. And we go in your name. Amen.